Hello, my name is Brian Wright. I'm an adjunct professor at Concordia University in Madison, Wisconsin. I'm also a co-founder of Educational Relevant. This is a platform for experienced educators to share a proven educational strategies to educate today's students. We want to make sure we provide in the toolbox for other younger administrators and educators ideas that they can utilize, that they can help and make these successful transitions for our students of today. I have alongside me my colleague and excellent friend, Mark McBeth, who'll be joining us shortly. Today, we're going to be having Dr. Frank Davila, who's going to be joining us. Dr. Davila is an excellent administrator, 38 years in education. And we're talking about as a teacher, administrator. He's been a, a college professor at Northern Colorado. He has been a state executive director. And, uh, and he's had so many different programs in two different states. I tell you right now, and he also is a Compass author. Make sure I also say that as well. Dr. Davila, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Mark. Brian, pleasure to be here. And so, Mark, what I'm going to do right now is turn Thanks. this over to you. And, uh, let's yeah, get started. So, so the interesting thing is, is I want a life experience conversation with, with Frank because my understanding that there, there's a there's a little article on on a web page that I found on him, and it says a foot in both places, and it's a journey from Texas migrant labor camps becoming an educational leader. And um, to be honest, it's something I haven't had to to personally live in. I, I don't I don't understand. I don't I I can understand, but I think we need to educate ourselves on how do you live in both worlds. When you have a different culture that you grew up with than somebody else with the kids that we work with, and then you're expected to live in a, a separate culture. And so with, with Frank, with that, I know you, you talk about voices of leadership. Can you share with us what it's like to kind of live in both worlds, what our kids are going through and, and how we as leaders can help um, people feel more comfortable in this world? Yes, certainly. Mark, when I think of living in two, in two places, for example, when, when we have friends over and so forth and, and they're friends that speak only Spanish, then our conversation's in Spanish. If we have friends that speak Spanish, but no, and then others that only speak English, then we have to have a bilingual conversation. So you adjust. And the same thing with schools, and there's some students that come in and parents that will speak one language and then they don't have the accents of English, they let them bring someone with them. So that's kind of a, a, a harsh reality when you have to face the fact that you cannot communicate directly with uh, someone else. I remember way back uh, years ago, school leaders would want to bring in paraprofessionals, other people, and have them talk to the students and the parents instead of the principal or as interpreter. And I'll say, well, we'll only ask the principals to maybe hire somebody from their staff that's bilingual instead of that way you can get direct information instead of an interpreter. But again, having the put into worlds and it's, it's not difficult, but because you get used to it. But on the other hand, there are folks that, like you said, have not experienced that. And so they don't understand that sometimes we have to hold back and hesitate when you're trying to relate something in a particular language and then you want to stop and say, wait a minute, it makes more sense in another language. If I use my other language, I have right now a grandson who's working 
and leading a company, a roofing company. And he'll, but every other day he'll text me because his workers will ask him something in Spanish. And he said, Abuelo, granddad, how do you, what does this mean? How do you say that? So I have it helping him navigate. So he's learning the hard way because he wants to make sure that the job is done correctly. And so that kind of a perception, and it's relevant because when you look at people that come from other countries, Mark and Brian, they bring their stories, they bring their customs, they bring their families, and, and their personal stories matter. And sometimes we don't stop to ask, who are you and what do you bring with you? What are your likes and dislikes? And what is it that really moves you? Because if we can connect with them and their personal stories, then they begin to feel that they're being welcomed. And then they begin to feel more and more part of the community. And sometimes we pay people to just learn English overnight or become U.S. citizen thinker overnight. Yeah. But it takes years. It takes generations. And the time the first generation will never really learn English that well. And they're still tied emotionally to their country. But then the second generation comes along and they begin to lose their native language. They begin to speak English. And by the third generation, you know, if they didn't pick up their native language from early on, they're totally English speakers and totally U.S. citizens. Then you have a, that kind of a mixed bag in, within their own household between different generations. And I find that intriguing because, you know, I, I don't think we pause as leaders enough to understand who we have in our community and how they think and how they operate and how we can support them. And sometimes we let that get in the way of helping them because we don't want to find a way to help them. So, yeah. So, so what's, so what's the, the leadership approach, the solution for schools when thinking deeper about this topic? You know, um, so many of our, our schools are saturated with students of other languages or, or second la have second languages or, or coming in, in this, this environment. What, what is, what is the solution to educate other people about this? Well, different things come to mind. One is that just because they come from another country and don't speak English doesn't mean that they're not intelligent, mm -hmm. that they don't have capacity, mm -hmm. that they cannot learn. It's just that they don't have the language. So that's one. So going beyond the barrier of the language would be one thing I would say to the leader. The other is we don't want to change our educational system because what we have is, is a good system. We just need to make sure we have people who can bridge different language groups and who can modify the instruction and make sure that it's uh, comprehensible, understandable to the people that are coming in which means that we have to do different hiring. And sometimes we don't look enough to hire people that can communicate and then provide the relevant instruction. And also we need to find ways to, as the leaders, to talk to the parents and their language and to hold events. It may be time consuming. It may be a little bit costly as far as energy and so forth and personnel. But you have to, as a leader, go back to your district and say, you know, we've got to look at this differently. We've got to find ways and maybe we need to hire different personnel. We need to look at different ways of ordering materials and so forth. So as a leader, you have to look at it as a global 
Toronto says, because you want to help, help every single child, regardless of their background and their language and their culture and traditions. They're all your students. Yeah. And so it's, I think sometimes we just want to move on with what we have and then just expect people that are newcomers to just step in and carry on as best they can and jump in and, and move forward without us pausing and stopping and say, wait a minute, what can we do to make adjustments to help them get into the system in a more productive and, and, and dynamic way? So adjustments not dummy down, though, right? Exactly. No, we don't want to do that. And that's what I meant. We don't want to change yeah. that. We just want to find ways to make sure that what we're teaching at high level is comprehensible. Because these kids are, can, they're, they're smart, they're intelligent. They just start with the language. It's a language issue, it's not an intelligence issue. I was going to say, and Mark, you, you brought two things, two things. The one you're talking about, you're absolutely right. Sometimes when we don't understand how it was happened, sometimes we don't understand students in language. We have a tendency to believe that they're not as gifted as they really are. And you find out these kids are extremely gifted and just have to find avenues of how we can reach them. But I'm going to ask you a question, Frank, and this is a question between equity and equality. Okay. And so what we see is when we get teachers and, and how do we get staff members and also community leaders? Because they, they want to make sure they say they believe that you treat every kid the same. But when you get students in these environments, we got to make sure those kids are going to be successful academically. How do we get uh, communities and how do we get even in your own schools, other staff members as a leader to buy in to what's different between equity and equality? Right. You know, Brian, that reminds me and takes me back to Title I in special education. Remember, at that particular point, we couldn't get people to accept the fact that we had to change and provide modifications and level one plans and so forth for the special education student. Well, even for the gifted and talented, we had to, we had to fight. So it's not just the new students, it's new processes and new programs. Remember with Title I, for example, way back, there were barriers because some people didn't want to find ways to make changes in math and reading and so forth. And then the same thing with, with, with new students, we need to, Think of it as it's not being something that's a burden, rather it's more of an opportunity for us to grow the student and for us as leaders to find ways to make it happen. And, and that's where many times we, we have expertise within the building. We have people in the building, they can help us because either they're, they're from that background or they understand that. But at the same time, we can go to outside the building and find expertise. And many times we try to solve it ourselves, not having all the tools. And so that would be another piece I would advise. Go out and find somebody who can help you. And then also the parents, their parents that are highly gifted and talented. For example, when I was working as a principal, I had a parent that came in and he was working as a custodian. But in his home country in Peru, he was a high gifted attorney. But because he could not speak English, he was a custodian. And then we have other people that I've known that were engineers and so forth, but they came in and had to work as a professional and, and, and they did it. But if you were to pick their brain, they would give you a lot of good, deep information, but if you did it in their language. So we need to find ways to value and understand people where they're coming from and, and, and use their voice to help us, you know, solve the issue. 
that that's powerful. There was a key statement that you made in there that I think is essential that everybody really understands. You asked to go out and get help to help you be a better leader. One of the things I see sometimes is people will say, well, that's the, the, the ESL or ESOL teacher's responsibility, you know, and, 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 or that's the interpreter's responsibility, or that's the, the community's, uh, cultural relations group responsibility, but you are saying, asking for help for you. Rick. And, and I think we don't, and then we're, I think being negligent because we are not supporting our own staff. Uh, and you're absolutely right. Sometimes we'll turn that job over and then we kind of wash our hands and say, okay, they can do it. And I, I give you permission to do this and that. But we don't, we don't ask them, do you have all the tools? Do you have the time? Do you have the materials and so forth to make it happen? And so a lot of times the other thing we, thing we can do, you know, Brian Marcus to, there's some districts that are having successful programs. Look at other, what other districts are doing that have similar population and see how they're progressing because I've known of districts that are doing a heck of a job or even buildings, but they don't share. And if you look at some districts, there's some school that fantastic job, others are not. And that's because different leaders have different organizational mindsets and skill sets and also ways of raising the value of who they are. I remember when I was a principal, I had, I needed some help with making schedules and also budget and so forth. And for the budget, I went out to another principal for the schedules I went within the, within the building. And I asked two teachers, the art teacher and the music teacher, because they deal with schedules all the time and they put it together for mm-hmm. the whole building and did a beautiful job. And, and I was amazed. And I said, well, I'm glad they did it and not me. So sometimes you've, your help is there. You just have to go out and get it. And sometimes we don't choose to do it. Thank you, Mark. I tell you right now, I think we have a, a lot of things to discuss as far as living in two different worlds. I will say to you, Frank, you assisted me when I was at Greeley West High School. And you know, Greeley West had 25 different languages spoken at one time in the school. Had the same, during the same day, you knew that as well. Right. Including from Burma, we had three languages. In Burma alone, we had our our migrant, our people from Burma to come in. So our students from Burma. So thank you, Frank. Mark, then you want to, you want to say, you want to yeah, finish off? A couple things come to mind. So one, he, he clearly defined that we need to continue to hold students accountable for rigor. And no matter what the, 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 the thing is, is we have smart kids and we have a language issue. So rigor is still our responsibility as educators. He talked about creating relevance for the students, making connections with the students so they, they could do what they needed to be able to do. He talked about creating relationships, not only with the students themselves, but across multiple other um, support groups and stuff that could really help us. And, and then and the end result is, is generating the same expectation, same results at the end. One of the things that comes to mind for me is there, there, there used to be a publication out there that I'd used all the time, and it talks about 90, 90, 90. There's 90, 90, 90 schools. School has 90% culturally diverse students, 90% free or reduced, 90% were proficient and, and, and at, on state assessments. Meaning that he, Frank said, we, we can use other schools as an example. 
other people have been successful. That was always my my benchmark. If if, if another school has that kind of culture and, and environment, and they're still ninety percent proficient, there's ways to get there. And I think that's what Frank talked about. And and I really really appreciate that conversation, Frank. Well, you're and, welcome, Frank. You know, is we want you to have the last word, Frank. We'll say thank you for joining us today. And uh, anything you want to talk about with the voice that we were discussing today about the culturally relevant voice. I think Mark and Ryan are being proactive. And by that, I mean being aware of what's happening around us, either in the community or on the state or in the nation. For example, critical race theory and then the woke and understanding and misunderstanding of that and also culturally relevant and materials that are limitations based on books and so forth. We need to be aware of what's going on so that we can be smart about it and rather than arguing about it we come up with factual information and and information that is accurate and also information that, that we study and if we don't have that background find someone to come in and explain to you what critical race theory is or what woke means or whatever other issues that are going on because we need to be ready because there'll be some parents and some board members and others that will ask you and you don't want to be put on the spot and not have that background in, in your at your fingertips so that would be the other thing be prepared and, and don't be afraid of it. Just learn about it. Okay, Frank, thank you very much. And I'll say, Mark, thank you again. And to our audience, greatly appreciate you being with us today. And everybody have a, have a good night. Thank, thank you. you very much. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you.